0: Tonight, for those of you who have been invited by your family members, I want to say a special shout out to you. Special welcome. All right. I know it might not be comfortable for some of you. You may not be used to, and these people here are noisy, ne? And... But we're not in any way going to make you uncomfortable. We're not going to pick on you. Ours is not to embarrass you. Mine is not to put you on the spot. The only reason I asked the people to come as families, and I've done the same as well, is that I believe for every family represented here, there's a special divine mandate that God has for your family. Amen. I want to share some few thoughts from Scripture, but we're going to take time to pray for you. And my belief and my faith is that this prayer will work something good in your life. My goal is not for you to join our church. This is not a ploy to try and make you a member of our church. Just hear that from my heart. I'm not in any way trying to force you and push you into anything. But this is what I believe. God loves you and God wants good for you. Yeah. And I want to share certain truths today that are not normally talked about. I have so much to share, but time is limited. I can't talk about everything. But God loves the family. Yeah. God actually The book of Ephesians calls him the father of families from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. The concept of family originates with God. And the word father there is very interesting because it has no uh, gender connotations. Unfortunately, as you've heard me say the whole week, Many words we use, we filter them through the English language. So in English, when you use the word father, it has gender connotations. In in Greek and in Hebrew, the word father there, in the Greek is the word p-a-t-e-r. And that word literally means originator. That's what father is, originator. Secondly, it means source. God is the source. He's the originator. So whoever represents an originator in your life, whoever is there as the life source, the the word fathers means sustainer, life giver. A father is the one to whom when we are connected with that source, it's a life giving source. And when you study how this was done culturally, even though it was attributed to the male, the man in the home. When you read the whole of the Old Testament, and I can't go into that, you know that the role of father, even though in that instance could be male, but the role of a father is a critical one. Because not only is father life source, father is the the destiny giver and the identity giver. Father brings stability, order, and hope. Father brings order. God takes on so many names and so many attributes. Both male and female attributes. We call God, they call God El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. That's what it's called. But literally, it, it means the all-breasty one. I'm not being callous. Or, or like I said yesterday, I'm not being, what's the term that I'm using? Huh? I'm not being rude or graphic, but in the literal sense, El Shaddai means the all-breasty one. So God takes the attributes of a natural as a mother would breastfeed a child, right? So on the one hand, you see God coming to us in what we would attribute as female characteristics, and on the other hand, he comes through to us in male characteristics is everything, So God is the source. God is the originator. God is the father. And the Bible says, he is the father from whom all family derives its name. So it means the concept of family comes from God. Family as the source. Family as the core. Family as the building block. Just like your body is made out of different cells. And even in those cells, you have a nucleus. God becomes the nucleus. God becomes the one that gives life to everything and that holds everything together. And so family is meant to be that. Truly according to God, everything must be done from a home, from a family. This is where morality is modeled. This is where spirituality should be modeled. This is where teaching must happen. This is where education must happen. Honestly, we ought not to be sending our children to their professional to make them right for us. A professional should only add on what the family is doing. Look at your neighbor who's not saying amen and say he needs a lot of amens when he preaches, so you must give him a lot of amens. Just tell them, tell them. Maybe they don't know. I need some amens. Tell them even some anas, he will take anything. So when you look at how God dealt with people, he didn't deal with them as individuals. Really, he looked at them and talked to them, but in talking to them, he was talking to their family. Unfortunately, we have allowed the individualistic cultures to so influence us in our nucleus as families. That people don't understand the bond that must exist. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't follow our own vision as individuals. But there's also some blessing on you as a family. And certain giftings and abilities that God gives you as a family that are a trademark of your family. Now, you don't necessarily all have to follow the same profession or work in the same business. But there are certain trademarks, there are certain gifts, there are certain abilities, there are certain things that are your portion that come from heaven that no other family has. And it is in you learning to take care of that. And to nurture that, that you will see the fulfillment of what God wants to do through you as a family. If you are sitting next to your family and say, I I, kind of like that. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. All right. Go with me then to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. God is speaking to Abraham, but in speaking to Abraham as an individual... He's also making me aware that even what I have promised for it to be fulfilled is predicated on how you navigate it in your home. You want me to say that again? You want me to say that again? God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm promising you such and such. But the fulfillment of what I promised to you is predicated and how you navigate it in your family. Are you in Genesis 18 yet? Look at your sleeping neighbor and say, wake up, Genesis 18, verse 17 to 19. It reads, the Lord said, this is after God came to Abraham and he was going to Sodom and Gomorrah but before he went he comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a mighty nation and in him all nations of the earth will be blessed. Are you there? For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that I may bring upon Abraham what I have spoken about him. So God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bring nations out of you. But all of that is dependent in your ability to be able to command your children after you and after the ways of God. Only then will it come to pass what I've promised to you. So every family here, there's a specific mission God has for you as a family. But every family here, there is a promise that God has. There's something that God wants to do through you as a family. But for that to happen, it's important for all of you to learn to obey what God has said. Are you there, Mazelan? Now, let's Go, let's fast track to, tell your neighbor we're coming back to Abraham. Tell them we're coming back to Abraham. Mara. Now let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to go everywhere, all right? Are you still alive? Are you still here? All right. Now, Hebrews 11 outlines the achievements and great exploits of the heroes and heroines of faith. It's a beautiful chapter. starts first of all, Hebrews 1, 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things, hoped for the evidence of things, not seen. Then it says, by it, the saints of old great gained uh, 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 favor with God. And then, then it starts outlining by faith, so and so did this, by faith, so and so did this, by faith, so and so did this. And, and it goes on and on and on. And then it comes down to the verse that they are showing there. All right? Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. But before Hebrews eleven thirteen, 13, go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, please. Hebrews 12, verse 1. In Hebrews 12, 1, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside the encumbrance and the sin that so easily beset us. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing you through it. Mara. After Ibuaka, all these heroes and heroines of faith it says many of them died without seeing what was promised. They've gone to heaven. They have gone before us. So now they are the cloud of witnesses that is in heaven. So he's saying they have gone and they are watching us run our race. So he says, so let's run our race with patience. All right. And not, and not allow the sin that so easily besets us to entangle us. But then let's go back to Hebrews 11 verse 13 that I wanted us to read. He says, all these died in faith, notice, without receiving the promises. Let's go back to Abraham. When God met Abraham, he gave him a promise of his own land. He first gave Abraham a promise of a child by the name of Isaac. When Abraham, when God promised Abraham, Abraham was 90 years old. No, no, he was 80 years old. God promises him a child. Okay, He says, I'm going to give you a child. Right. So, and not only am I going to give you a child, I'm going to give you your own land. Let's go, let's go back. So, Abraham, he does get a child. I'll come back to that. But he died without inheriting the land. Listen to that. Now, here's the question. When God said, when God made him a promise, did God lie that is going to give him the land? Can I tell us about Arab? You're afraid to answer. Mara, Did Abraham inherit the land? So let me ask you another question as a lawyer. Did God lie? No. You're no longer sure now, eh? No, I, oh, hang on. Now, if God didn't lie, why did Abraham die before he inherited the land? Okay, while you're mumbling, I will help you. Come with a verse. So it says, they all died without receiving the promises, but having seen them, Having welcomed them from a distance. And having confessed that they are strangers and exiles on the earth. Are you there, Barcelona? Yes. Are you there, Barcelona? Yes. Now, so, skip down to verse 39, because verse 39 explains what's happening. It says, all these, it It repeats. Having gained approval through faith, did not receive what was promised. Why? Verse 40 tells us. Watch this now. Because God had provided something better for us. Watch this now. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Now that's kind of confusing, isn't it? Let me show you what it means. What it means is this. When God spoke to Abraham, he knew it's going to take 400 years for the promised land to become a reality. But when he was talking to Abraham, he wasn't just talking to Abraham, he was talking to Abraham and all the unborn children in him. Because God is multi generational, he's family oriented. He's transgenerational in his thinking. So when God talks to you, he's not just talking to you, he's talking to the unborn children in you. Watch now. But if the children do not hook up to the promise that God has made, then the promise of God cannot be fulfilled. So those who have gone before us cannot be made perfect without us. Here's the picture. Here's the picture. Every family is on a race in a marathon. And every generation has its own lap. the goal is for the marathon to be finished so what happens if I'm the one who starts like Abraham I'm running but at the end of my journey even if the the marathon is not finished I have done my part and I hand over the baton to the next generation so Mamela, the next generation cannot finish without me but also, I also can't finish without them. Here we go. Listen to this. So, if now, nah, when it is my turn to run, I, I don't run as I should. I don't keep the right pace. I compromise the entire generation because I didn't play. I hope you're not one of those who is compromising your generation. So without them, we cannot be complete. Tell the, your neighbor, your family member, I can't be complete without you. <laughs> Say it again. I can't be complete without you. That word "complete" doesn't mean flawless. It means to bring to perfection. The complete Jewish Bible says, "All of these had they are married, attested." Because of their trusting, nevertheless, they did not receive what had been promised. Because God had planned something better that would involve us, so that only with us, they be brought to the goal. So, if we as generations, we don't interlink, we don't work together, If we as generations, we don't give the baton and if the next generation doesn't take the baton and run, then the family, whatever family you are, you fail in your marathon. Now let's talk about the mistakes parts that happen in families. Because in families, there are those who don't do what's right. And all of us, we have our own problems. Tell your neighbor, you have your problems. And I also have mine too. Let me go back. Meaning this, Bazaran, when God spoke to Abraham, he knew very well it's going to take 400 years before the children of Israel go into Egypt, into, into Canaan. He knew it. But that's how we're hearing him. But that's not what he's saying. Because when God speaks to you, because we are individualistic in our thinking, we think it only ends with us. God spoke to Abraham fully knowing well that what I start with you, Abraham, it will end with the next generation. To the extent when you read the Bible with regards to tithing, Abraham tithed on behalf of Isaac when Isaac is says, Isaac tithed. When Abraham tithed, Isaac tithed. Isaac wasn't born, but when Abraham tithed, it included the next. Day. Oh, you're not understanding what I'm. T- so many of us don't have an understanding of the effects and the impacts that our decisions and our lifestyle is having on the next generation. Because when I or blah, blah, blah it's my life, I know it's your life. Mara, your life is is in a relay race. You can't say, no, I'm just taking my time in this lap, I'll walk. You must run because if you don't run, we're going to lose time in the race. And when we get to the finish line, when we lose, we're going to lose because of you. I tell your neighbor, I don't want my family to lose because of me. Are you here, Bazalon? Are you here, Bazalon? Are you here, Bazalon? This is what it means. It means what God started and intended to do through this person, he is not willing to finish it without the next generation. So God starts something with you that he definitely is not going to finish in your lifetime. (laughs) Look at the neighbor and say, what a shock. God knows fully well when he spoke to Abraham. Think about it. He spoke to Abraham Abraham only got to see Canaan land with his eyes and walked in it, but he never inherited it. Then came Moses. Moses was raised by God to take the children of Israel into Canaan land. Leanna Moses, second generation. on the How? It was Joshua. And I'm going to show you when I close how God's blessings always climax with the third generation. I'll show you at the end. I'll show you at the end. So in other words, we've got to keep what God is doing in our generation and not lose it. Because some of you may have started with this Christianity thing. You may have started believing God. You may have started now. But you are the first one in your family. And because you are the first one in your family, you can only see certain things to a certain level. You may not see certain levels of manifestation, but oxala, you have started. Ah, Jesus! And I'm going to talk to you. I call you pioneers. Tell your neighbor you are sitting next to a pioneer neighbor. I'm a pioneer. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul talking about this concept. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 to verse 8. He's showing us. He says, I'm already poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Keep going. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteousness with will Lord for me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who love his appearing. So Paul understands that he's got his race. You've got your track. You've got your assignment. Don't fail your family. <laughs> Are you there, Don't fail them. Don't drop the baton. Don't run slow. Don't run slow. Tell your neighbor, finish your race. race. So God's way of working, therefore, is multi-generational. It's interconnected. So when God speaks to a person, he knows that the fulfillment of the promise will take many years. Therefore, the fulfillment of the promise can only happen with the connection of the next generation. Like I said, in Genesis 12, that's where God told Abraham to come out of his country to the land that he will show him. But it took many years to be able to happen. Why is it like that? Because God is not time bound like us. I want to take this slowly because I understand. God is not time bound, God doesn't work within time. He created time. He lives outside of time. Time is for us. So when he talks, it's not time bound. So when he says something, it's not time bound. It's interlinked, it's multi generational, but it's not time bound. So, Mama sometimes we think Hebrews 11 tells us some of them died without seeing the fulfillment. It never said they failed. Uh, you didn't get that, you didn't get that You, you, you are still sleeping it, it never said they failed, it just said they died But then it says, of course God's purpose was that They should not be complete without us So to, to a person who doesn't know They say they failed But in God's eyes it says But I knew this thing, may, they may never reach this Without the next generation and the next generation What they are responsible for is to do what they must do in their generation. Is this difficult to understand? Am I speaking above your heads? Are you understanding what I'm saying to you tonight? All right. We want to take it slow. Tell your neighbor we're taking it slow. Yeah. Unfortunately, because we are obsessed with a spirit of individualism, we don't look at continuity. And we disconnect as generations. We disconnect as families. We disconnect as genders. We fight against each other. And yet, we can never be complete on our own. There's no way the vision of this church can be fully complete without the next generation. I happen to be, you know, the founder, the first generation. But I'm fully aware that the vision of this church to be honest with you, I can only lay the foundation. With all the great things that are happening in now, I know that this is just the start. Now I know. <laughs> Why am I training pastors? Why am I telling them about what's coming? Because I know I can't be complete without them. But they also, if they don't become faithful and loyal, they can never be complete without me. So if you do not, as families, as churches, as nations, as countries, see this is what happens sometimes even in, in the world, you know, when people come into power, they don't continue where their predecessor left. Everybody wants to start from scratch, everybody, about credit, ID, ID. everybody wants their own legacy, everybody wants credit for themselves. God is not looking at individuals getting credit. God is looking at the family getting credit. God has created a law of interconnectedness. It's such a powerful law in the Bible. It's everywhere in the Bible. One will turn a thousand, two will turn ten thousand. In other words, God is saying this. God is saying, if if each one of you is lifting up weights, one lifts up a hundred kgs, and the other one lifts up hundred kgs. In total, you have lifted 200 kgs. Individually. A lot company has 200 kgs. But if you can connect together, you're not going to lift up 200 kgs. You're going to lift up 300 kgs, if not 10,000 kgs. Because there is a law in the Bible of incremental growth when there's unity. The book of Psalms, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We have the word together. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, it shall be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. It's it's a law that God has put. God has put a spiritual principle of interconnectedness. That when we are interconnected, we will do more. When we are individualistic, we can accomplish, but it's very little. And we can never equal united working. Look at your neighbor and say, "Shaba yaba yaba." Look at your neighbor and say, I love what I'm hearing. Say it again, I love what I'm hearing. Tell your neighbor, I love what I'm hearing. So now, let's go back to Abraham. So God promises Abraham and says, I'm going to give you a child. And God waits that's the way God talks. God says, I'm going to give you a child. Because God's not, God is not time bound. Says, I'm but when you hear it, you think the child is coming tomorrow. So Abraham and his wife, they wait until he's 99 years old. And Sarah is 90 years old. And it hasn't happened. But, just listen to this carefully. Because of not understanding how God works, they made so many mistakes in between. I want to address the mistakes we make as families. They made so many mistakes. Just to name a few. Abram and his wife decided we're not falling pregnant. Why don't you get your helper to help you? It was by mutual agreement. So, what happens? Abram sleeps with Hagar. They get a child. And when the child is born, God says, No, I'm not going to accept this child. Because there's no verse in the Bible that says God helps those who help themselves. God says, I said from your own loins with your own wife. I'm not going to accept you fast-tracking my promise and giving me a bombay results. It's going to come on my terms, my way, in my time. I'm not accepting that. So Abraham goes through a time where he totally now, they are so discouraged with the wife. And God thinks, let me leave them. And then when Abram is 99 years old, God appears to him and says, I'm the almighty God. And then he starts promising him. And I want us to go to Genesis 21. I want to show you something. God appeared to him in Genesis 18, but I'm fast-tracking to 21. Just keep 21 there and just look at me for a while. So when God appears to them and says, I'm going to give you your child with your own wife, Sarah is in the kitchen preparing food. She overhears God talking and she starts laughing. So there's a second thing now. It's not a laughter of excitement. It's a laughter of scorn. <laughs> but also Abraham in the process had also made so many mistakes in his younger days as he was walking around with Sarah. As he went across other nations of the world because of the way his wife was so beautiful he felt if the king finds out she's my wife he's going to take her and kill me so I'm going to lie and say she's my sister. Let's tell the truth. Abraham didn't start out as the great man of faith and power that we know him to be. Lots of mistakes. I'm talking about family mistakes. But even with all of that, God's promise, what God said, will happen. Mistakes and all. It will happen. It will happen. Because whatever covenant God has with you and your family, God will see it through if you can trust Him, if you can go back to Him, if you can walk away from the mistakes, God will make it right. So God appears to them, He says, He says, Three months from now, she's gonna be pregnant. And, and Abraham, remember, is still so full of unbelief. But then somehow God works such that his faith becomes stronger, the wife becomes pregnant. And they finally give birth to a child and they call him laughter, which is what Isaac means. And after the child is born, Abram does something that is incredible. He plants a tamarisk tree. Underline that. Are you ready for this? He plants a tamarisk tree at Beersheba. I won't talk about Beersheba. In and there, somebody say there. Say it again there. Say it again there. Say it again there. Look what it says. It says, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. This is where now the translation hasn't said it like it was said. It says he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Now when you read right through the Bible till this time, this name, it was the first time it's used, everlasting God. God was referred to with all other names more than once. This is the first time this name is used, everlasting God. Now let me give you a concept of, uh, of, of, of hermeneutics, Bible interpretation. We have a law in hermeneutics called the law of first mention. The law of first mention states when something is said for the first time, you've got to study everything around it. Because if God says something for the first time, what was the context? And He is setting a precedent. Because when He says it for the first time, it tells you about what is about to follow. Kallelak. This is the first time it's called everlasting God. Somebody say everlasting God. Yes. Unfortunately, in English they used everlasting God. In Hebrew, it's the name to the power too. Is the Hebrew name. Olam, Olam, spelled O-L-A-M, O-L-A-M. Olam, Olam. It's almost an impossible name to define. And the closest words we have is everlasting God. But that name also means eternity. Olam, Olam. Remember, this is after the child is born, Abraham is thanking God for what has happened. He is thanking God for the miracle that has happened. He's thanking God for being Olam Olam. Olam Olam means the ancient one. The ever true. The ever old. The last thing. Are you writing down? Yes. Olam Alam means perpetual. Alam means anytime. Olam means without end. And watch this. As he's calling on the name of Alam Alam, he plants a tree. A tamarisk tree. This tree is an evergreen tree. In the King James, it calls it a grove. This tree is an evergreen tree, that is slow growing. Anybody who planted a tamarisk tree knew that they would never live to eat the fruit of it. So when they are planting it, they are planting it for the next generation. They are prophetically declaring, I will never live, to, I'll never live long enough to sit under the shadow of this tree, but my children will sit under the shadow of my covenant with God. Because he is Olam, Olam. He is the everlasting God. He's the God. So, Olam, Olam, this is what it means. It means everlasting God, eternal God. It, it, you can't even use the word time because you, once you put time, you can't define God. It means a God who's outside of time. A God who knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. A God, when He says something, He already knows the final outcome. So Abraham is saying when God spoke to me about having a child, He knew who Baiza He knew my mistakes. But even with my mistakes and all, God knows that as Alam olam, he will work so strongly in my life. He will mold me and change me and bring me to a place that the promise that he made will come to pass. My mistakes and all. And he will make sure that whatever he has said comes to pass in my generation, in my family line, in my, in my, in my, in my lineage. In spite of all my mistakes, he is Alam olam. olam. Abraham is saying, God, I'm worshiping you because when I started with you, I wasn't the man of faith that I am today. When I started with you, I was a man who was filled with doubt. I was a man who was laughing at your promises. I was a man who was telling lies about my wife. I was a man who was doing all kinds of stuff. Marawena, in spite of Hobay Zahaka, you looked beyond Hobay Zahaka and you looked on the other side. And because you are Alam, Alam, I worship you. And now, God, I'm getting it that you are not just looking to me. You are looking at the generations that follow. And I'm going to celebrate by planting a tree that is just like you. That is evergreen. The tamarick tree is a tree that also was used in olden days as a covenant tree. And i is saying, I see that you're a covenant God. Who, in spite of my mistakes... You will bring to pass in my family, in my lineage, what you have promised if I learn to connect with you again. Are you here tonight? Are you here tonight. So he worships and calls on the name of Olam Olam. The God who was there before there was time. The God who was there before I was born. The God who brought me into the world and already knew everything about my life, he brought me into the world. And as long as I can trust this God with my life, with my family, everything will be all right. Tell your neighbor, everything will be all right. That's what I'm here to tell you tonight. No matter what dysfunctions you've had in your family, if you can trust Olam Olam, everything will be all right. No matter how much you have failed in your lap when you are running your race, if you can trust Olam Olam, everything will be all right. No matter how much you have gone away and walked away from God, if you can recommit to him tonight, God is going to restart something. Let me close, Bazalanaka these two thoughts. We said when we started, God is a multi-generational God. In every family, God wants to start something with one person. Go to Acts chapter 16 with me. Are you understanding what I'm talking about tonight? Hakili latli. I'm not losing you. Look at your neighbor who's saying, no, you are lost. Are you there in Acts chapter 16? Are you there in Acts chapter 16? Paul and Silas are in jail. They've been beaten and tied up. At midnight, they sing praises to God. Prisoners hate them. God sends an earthquake. The prison shakes. Their chains are made loose. Prison doors opened. And the guy who was looking after the prison, thinking that the prisoners has escaped, takes out a sword to kill himself. And Paul and Silas says, don't do harm to yourself. And says, no, he's so. And then he asked the question. I widely look at verse 1, but 2. I can look at verse. Verse 31, I said. Not 1. Verse 31. Start at verse 30. Verse 29. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy called for the lies and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas after he discovered that the prisoners are there. And after he brought them out, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31. We live in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look how God is not just focusing on you only. Some of you are not getting it. Look at your neighbor who is not getting it. I mean, Lyle on the board, away board. Read it with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will happen? What will happen? What will happen? And then? You and your? So when God saves you, he's looking at your family too. Yeah. 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 I like what... Cornelius did when Peter visited his home. After God had shown Peter a vision to go to the house of Cornelius, Cornelius brought his household that Peter should preach. As Peter was preaching, Cornelius and his whole house, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. I love what Jesus said when he talked to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus went by himself to go and check out Jesus. And he climbed up on a sycamore tree to have a look at this Jesus. He didn't want to mix with other people because Zacchaeus was not a guy who was popular in his community because they So privately, Nicodemus, he gets up on a tree to just have a look at Jesus. He doesn't want anybody to bother him because no matter how evil people are, they still find God attractive. Even if they don't do it when you are aware, they are sneaking up trying to check God out because they know God is a good God. And Jesus knew about Zacchaeus. So when he came to the tree, he just stood under that sycamore tree and looked up. And says, said, Zacchaeus, kawyeh And I love it in the King James Bible, he made haste. I don't know. I, he, I think he just fell out of it. I mean, can you imagine? See, come on, tree is a very thick tree. It's thick. I can't it's a very thick, thick. Very thick. You can't see through it. You can imagine. You are hiding in this tree. And somebody just comes and stands and, don't, don't just say, <laughs> I tell you, I mean, and, and then he just, and this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, today I'm coming to your house. You came alone seeking for me. Zacchaeus. I'm not only going to touch you, I'm going to touch your family line. Can I hear an amen and? this house? So here we go. God must find a hook in your family. Like this Philippian jailer. Paul says, you believe, you believe, you will be saved. You and your family. So here we go. It's important. Because God is a God of generations. He always deals with things transgenerationally. Even in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 20, God even says he will visit the iniquity of the parents on the children and the children's children. Romans 5.12 tells us that it is through the sin of one man, Adam, that all of us are in trouble. So God is a transgenerational God. Say it with me. God is a... Say it again. Now watch this. Let me talk on the positive side. God has designed that when he works in people, Even if he makes a promise to the first generation, sometimes they may never live to see it. Just like in the case of Abraham. It was the third generation that finally went into the promised land. And so let me show you a principle. How the third generation sometimes gets to be the one that inherits the fullness of the promise. Not the whole promise, but the fullness of it. Which means this. If you want to see God work... In your lives. Keep God in your family for at least three generations. Let the next generation serve God and the next generation serve God. By the time the third generation comes into it, you will see far more in the third generation than what you saw in the first generation. In Abraham's case, God promised him a child. And Abraham gets one child. By the name of Isaac. Well, Isaac comes in, Mariana, he gets two children. He's getting better. Look at the neighbor say, He's getting, getting better. Yeah, because Isaac walked in the footsteps of his father's faith. Then Isaac, with the two children he got, he got Jacob and Esau. Let's talk about, let's not even talk about Esau. Jacob got 12 children. Yeah. Look at the neighbor and say, It's getting better. Say it again, it's getting better. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, it's getting better. In the case of Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, let's have it up on the screen. Paul acknowledges this concerning Timothy. And he says, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life in Christ, keep going to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse three, I thank God who myself, with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did and I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. Longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy for I'm mindful of the sincere faith which is in you which first Dwelt in your grandmother Louis and second generation, your mother Eunice. And I am sure the same faith is in you. Bonam Bazalan. <laughs> it's possible the grandmother Louis Unayako ali onehaya Going all alone to church by herself, praying all alone, just like some of you, nobody supporting her. But taking her little girl called Eunice to church, and Eunice would go to church. And, 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 and finally, Eunice finally got married in the church. At least it's the first time. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? And because Eunice and her husband were serving God when they got a child by the name of Timothy because he was raised in the things of God, this boy doesn't end up just becoming a churchgoer. Now, somebody say, it's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. It's getting better. God has meant for it. If you keep it long enough within your generation. It gets better with time. Yeah. But you know, we never think generational. So everybody who starts wants to start their own thing. This is why when the children of Israel were praying, when things got bad, they would reach back three generations in their prayer. They would pray to the God of, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are saying, I have seen you being faithful over three generations. I have no reason to doubt you or to test you beyond this. I saw my great-grandmother. I saw my grandmother. I saw my parents. I have no reason not to trust you because I saw you working transgenerationally. When things got hard, they reached back three generations and says it worked three generations ago. There's no reason why shouldn't work now. That's why it's a sad thing when children who are raised in a Christian home go try to go go to other things. other things, and embrace other things. When your parents were sustained by God. When all they have comes from God, you go and try other things. It's a sad thing. Look at your neighbor and say it's a sad thing. Let's conclude. So the third generation is the tipping point. For that reason, the prayers of the first generation never go to waste. And the assignment God has given to the first generation never goes to waste. Therefore, we all carry responsibilities in the different generations. Now, if you are the first one in your home, and I'm talking about being a believer now, I'm not talking about other things. It could be maybe the first one to finish matric, the first one to go to to, to university, the first one to start a business. First one. First one to come to a prayer meeting. So so whatever first you are, I will call you first generation. Are you there, Basalana? How many of you are sitting next to your first generation right now? How many of you are sitting next to your first generation? First generation. So I'm talking to the first generation. Here's your responsibility, first generation. Number one, be faithful to what God has told you. That's all God wants from you. Be faithful. Number two, walk in integrity and sincerity. Remember, you are the foundation layer. And being a foundation layer is a big responsibility. If you lay a bad foundation, the next generations are going to suffer a lot. Lay a foundation of prayer. Lay a foundation of holiness. Lay a foundation of God's word. Lay a foundation of truthfulness and sincerity. Lay a foundation of hard work. Lay a foundation of faith. Lay a foundation of loving God. Be faithful. Proverbs 28, 20. Thank you in the foyer there. It says, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. Proverbs 21, 25, 21 says, integrity and righteousness shall preserve him. Thirdly, understand that you'll need to sacrifice. See, as the first generation, you need to sacrifice for God's ideals. Why? Because everything that you worked for, you may never have lived to reap the benefits thereof. Just understand that. I understand as I lead this church that sometimes the demand that's going to be made on my life will be more than any other person who will ever lead this church. So I may have to do much more and sacrifice much more. That when I started leading the church, there was a time when I wasn't paid for several years. I understand that. I'm, I'm first generation. Got to pay that price. You get a neighbors not saying, "Amen say, yeah, I new worker sacrificer, how many am I?" Number three: hold on. Number four, thank you. Hold on. In other words, hold on to your vision. Hold on to your ministry. Hold on to your marriage. Hold on to righteousness. Say no to sin. Don't compromise. Why? Mamela, everything that you hold on to will make you move closer to the fulfillment of the dream. And sometimes first generation understand the battle against you will be greater and more fierce than anybody else. Why? Because all the people in your family line in your lineage who failed because they were attacked by demonic powers all those demonic powers that attacked your grandmother, your grandfather your uncle, your malume, your aunt everybody, they were all gang up on you that is why sometimes when you are the first in a family to try and move along certain lines of truth and righteousness all hell breaks loose And you can't understand the intensity of the warfare. You can't understand why they hate you so much. I'll tell you why. It is not them. You are not wrestling with flesh and blood. There are principalities and powers that want to keep your family in bondage. But you are there to break down the stronghold. You are the one to bring down the logismos in the name of Jesus. And so it's worth you staying up and sticking up and facing up to the fight. You have no chance to lick your wounds. You have no time to feel sorry for yourself, soldier. Put on the armor of God and do all that you need to do in the name of Jesus. Because the coming generation depends on you. Depends on you. Depends on you. So understand the intensity of your fight. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Understand that as first generation, you must leave a legacy behind. But then may I talk to the second and the third generation and I'll call you sons and daughters. Sons, not gender. Sons in terms of designation. You are the generation that will take the baton. Like Isaac picking up from where Abraham left off. Isaac got a double portion of two children. Just like Elisha got a double portion from Elijah. And you're able to have great success because of the foundation of the first generation. But Isaac needs to humble himself to become a child of promise. And understand that you need to walk in the foundation of that which was laid by your fathers. It's important, Bazalana, And this is why in churches like ours, the charismatic churches, it's a sad thing that people do not want to connect with fathers. They don't understand what being a son is about. They don't understand that as sons, they get to reap even more. Why? Because sons are willing to submit as servants, to submit and honor their fathers. Servants submit because they have to. See, there's a difference between a son in the home and a worker in the home. The worker in the home, they just work because they have to. They are a servant. They submit because they have to. Sons build the house. Servants serve because they have to. Sons bond new people to the family and the father. Servants bond people to themselves. Sons hold the father's heart and they regard the father and the mother and their success as their own. Servants like to take their own way and they always want to be by themselves. That doesn't mean you can't pursue your vision. I'm not saying that. Sons wait for their inheritance. Servants demand what is theirs prematurely. Sons understand there's the anointing of the house. And they're always family oriented. See, even in your home, that's why you need to honor your father and your mother. There's an anointing in that home. They may not know the Bible like you do, but there's an anointing in that home. Sons understand to speak the family language, the we language. Seven speak the I language. Sons honor leadership and cover the nakedness of their fathers. Servants love to expose the nakedness of their parents. They are like what we see out in the law of the jungle. When you see a pride of lions, you always see the young teenage lions always looking forward to chasing away the old man. When they get to their prime, they gang up against the main lion that is in charge of the the pride. And they always will fight and test his strength. And the minute they see weakness in the old man, they fight him and chase him away from the pride and they take over the pride. That's the law of the jungle. True sons and daughters don't do that. True sons and daughters understand when the old lion can't take care of themselves, the young, strong, viral lions are there to cover. Your parents who worked hard for you. You can't just dump them in a home and you never go there and see them and spend time with them. They may be having dementia. They may not be able to remember who you are. They may not be saying anything that's intelligible. But there's a time when they sacrificed for you. They walked for hours. They did something. Oh, you don't want to say amen now. You don't want to say amen now. And a true son and a true daughter understands those principles. Sons and daughters honor the chain of command. Servants question the chain of command. Sons and daughters share their lives and their inner conversation with their mother and father. Servants or hirelings only tell their mother and father what they think they need to hear. Sons focus on the welfare of the home. Servants serve for what they can gain. And so as the the generation that takes the baton realize that there's a great inheritance left for you, And as a family, you'll need to talk and chat yourselves as to what that means to you. But you need to find a way to connect together. I'm not in any way saying you must all go into the same business. I'm not saying you must all do the same thing. Everybody can have their career. But there's a family mandate that's on your lives. And you need to connect with the ones that have gone before you. We need to facilitate those conversations. Basalana, we need to work very hard to ensure that we don't allow the spirit of division to tear us apart. Yeah. Why? Because the more the family gets torn apart is the more our society gets very sick. You know, I'm involved in a number of initiatives and so on. And, and one meeting I went to, we were discussing with this priest the amount of anger that's there in our society. And understandably so. People are angry for many different reasons. But you know, as we were talking, I said, it's all because the home is dysfunctional. The home, a place that God meant to be a place of safety, godliness. Some people in that same home, it's been so much pain. But this is what I want to do as we close. We're going to take time to pray for you as families. What are we praying for? Number one, I'm praying that the mandate of you as a family will be fulfilled and that there will be one of you who will play the role of being a pioneer. It has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with gender. It has something to do With a burden. That's why some of you you are burdened so much for your families. It's because the hand of God and the finger of God is pointing to you. The rest of the family doesn't understand why you are making such a big deal about this. But something is brewing in your heart which comes from heaven. Because God wants to do something in your family. So I'm going to pray for you. Number two, we're going to pray that all mistakes, all wrongs that have been committed, if you are able tonight to forgive one another, offer that gift of forgiveness. You don't have to go into details because forgiveness is one of the most powerful things to offer, it doesn't need explanation. We don't have to explain yourself. We don't have to go back and dig up. We just say, you know what? We're evening out everything. I'm sorry. Can we start again? It's a powerful thing that can happen in a home. want to work forgiveness. <laughs> Second thing we want to do. The third thing, I'm going to pray for the blessing of God on you as a family. That the first generation will play its role, second generation, third generation. And that whatever has gone wrong will be made right. That for some of you, even long before you were born, those who went before you, they involved you in wrong covenants that are affecting you today. That through the power of the Holy Ghost, God's going to set you free as you bring down that leptisness. I'm going to pray finally that those of you who feel tired because every day you're fighting. Now you know why you're fighting so much. But that God will give you the strength to hold on. Remember, the destiny of the entire lineage depends on you. If you fail, if you give up, it's going to cost everybody. You're running the first lap you only have 500 meters to go. If you go to the ground and refuse to run, it's gonna cost the entire generation, the entire race. Even if you have to crawl to the finish line. Finish anyhow. Cause who knows, maybe the next one who gets the pattern has the gift of running a little bit more faster than you. Maybe you will make up time on the way. Marok you want to get to the finish line. I see your family getting to the finish line. And who knows, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when you look at the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, they will be further down the line, just like Timothy. Serving God, worshiping God not having to deal with the things that you've had to deal with because the God of many generations who loves your family has been with you. Give the Lord a big hand of praise. Come on, give the Lord a big hand of praise if you believe Him. Give the Lord a big hand of praise if you believe Him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. we stand as we pray.